You're listening to episode 29 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the show. Today I am bringing you Jack Carley and Jack is the founder of Get Planty Health and Nutrition and also of Maria and Jane, which is a media company and a podcast dedicated to inspiring and informing women or anyone who's interested in the rapidly growing cannabis industry. It's really, really fascinating. And Jack is a, is a self-proclaimed health and wellness and wellness and food nerd. Uh, she, this girl has stats to back up her shit. She knows exactly what she's talking about. And I know that I always say that episodes are jam packed. This episode is no exception. Jack absolutely brings it in this episode and we're going to be covering a few different things. So Jack has actually been incredibly passionately coaching women to reach their health and wellness goals since 1999. Uh, She is a mom, a businesswoman, a competitive athlete, and she's had a lot of her own health struggles in the past as well. She's ended up working with hundreds of women and she does research incessantly. So she has so much incredible information to share in this episode. And this episode's a little bit different because we're going to be talking about a few, a few things that we don't typically touch on in this episode, but it and on this podcast, but it all ties in so beautifully to everything else that the Room to Grow podcast is all about. So one of the big things that we're going to be covering is the cannabis industry. What it what it is, how things are changing. Uh, how the entire landscape is shifting, women's role in the cannabis industry, how it affects our bodies, so many different things here, some of the stigmas associated with it. It's There's a huge amount of ground to cover and Jack does a really, really great job at doing that. We're also going to be talking about breast implant illness. So Jack has had a lot of uh, issues with this herself and she's, again, done a huge amount of her own research in that particular area and I think that it's a really important discussion to have for anyone who either has implants, uh, who is maybe considering implants, or even if you just have someone in your life who who has them or is considering them. I think this would be a really important episode to pass on because Jack is very open about her personal struggles with that and this is actually, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly honored, this is actually the first time that she's really speaking quite openly about it. So that's going to be another big discussion as well. And we're also going to be covering toxins and sort of the toxic load that our bodies can have. Um, And that can come from a huge number of different products, as you will definitely hear about. We're going to be uh, covering various things in the beauty industry, things that, that you can do with your nutrition to really dial that in and help to offset some of those things as well. So there is so much going on in this episode. Some common themes are doing your own research, uh, listening to your gut, checking old stigmas at the door. I think that's going to be a really, really crucial one. So coming into this episode with an open mind, having honest conversations and getting really clear on the information that is being shared in the public, because sometimes we really do have to dig in and look at some numbers ourselves, really take 
care to know what we're getting into and being an advocate for our own health. So we're going to talk about all of those things. And I also just want to stress that Jack is based in the US. I am in Canada for anyone who isn't aware. So some of the, the areas that Jack touches on in regards to US laws um, around various things, like whether we're talking about uh, the, the implants, um, some of the chemicals in the US that are available there and maybe are not approved here in Canada, and obviously the cannabis laws, which are rapidly changing in Canada and the US. So most of this will be uh, US based, but I am going to link in the show notes some information that is more specific to Canada as well. So if you want some more information on Canada, make sure to check the show notes and I will have some information there for you. Okay, I think this is my longest winded intro to the intro yet. So I'm not going to waste any more time. We are going to dive right in and you can get to know Jack. Jack, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Oh, me too. I was, I, I approached you initially about, about one topic and then you came back to me with, with the suggestion of a couple others and I'm even more excited to dive into this. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> tell me a little bit about, about you. It's always so funny whenever I interview um, anyone, the, the one common thread is always sort of how many twists and turns there have been along the way and, and transitions into different things. So tell us a little bit about that and, and how that's looked for you. Oh, how I've had many, many, many twists and turns (laughs) in my life. So let's see. I'm originally from New York City, Manhattan, and I live right outside of Boston now, but I really am a true blue New Yorker. And I grew up there, but also traveling a lot. And I grew up with not a great relationship with food and fitness. I'm an only child. And a little bit spoiled, I guess you could say. Uh, Although my parents divorced when I was a baby. And I didn't play sports. I wasn't into really being physically active. I was very much into music. I I sing. And so I was very much into singing. And but I had a lot of stuff, I guess, going on as we do sometimes when we're younger. And I would eat my feelings. Um, There was there's uh, some traumatic stuff that happened too. And I pretty much grew up overweight, having a lot of insecurities, self-doubt, really just not liking how I looked or how I felt in my body. And that pretty much was this common thread for many, many years. With that, interestingly enough, I started working in the gym industry when I was in high school and continued working off and on in the gym industry probably into my early 20s in numerous positions and kind of working my way up specifically for Equinox Fitness Club. Even before they were Equinox, they had another gym in in Westchester, New York that wasn't called Equinox and was the first one. And in that world, I really kind of immersed myself in fitness and health and nutrition and things like that, albeit I really was not healthy myself. I had developed an eating disorder and was really struggling on a daily basis with all of that. When I decided to finally get well and I guess choose myself is a good way to put it, I had decided that I wanted to study nutrition more formally and health-related things, fitness as well, so that I could learn more about how to improve my own relationship with food and then eventually 
work to help other people as well. And so I've been working in that industry and in health and nutrition for a little over 18 years now. And I guess today I'm, I'm a clinical nutritionist. I have my master's in nutrition. I've done three years in my PhD for integrative medicine, but that's on pause right now. And a gazillion D certifications because I'm kind of a certification junkie. And I primarily work with women, but helping them with their health and nutrition goals. I do work I am working right now as part of a phase three clinical trial with breast cancer patients and uh, their nu- the nutrition-related aspect for them, but I also then work with private clients as well. In between all of that, for all of those years, I've had a slew of other jobs as well. I was a flight attendant for um, almost five years, and I did go to school as well for opera performance and traveled around a bit and did singing stuff. and. Uh, but the common theme was always nutrition and health, and I would always end up going back to that. So today, nutrition is pretty much my focus, as well as I have another business called Maria and Jane, where I focus on women in the cannabis industry. That is quite the story. You really have had, <laughs> I think you might win the, the award so far for, for most twists and turns that I've <laughs> had of anyone on the podcast. I love it. That's so cool. And I really, what really um, struck me about you was that, I mean, I, I came across you last year. We came across each other last year through uh, our mutual business coach. And I loved what you were doing about vegetables and really encouraging people to eat their greens. And I mean, you have so many certifications and just an incredible background and, and knowledge. And you were also getting into powerlifting and stuff as well. So it was really, really cool to watch you do all of that and then start to I mean, transition towards all of these other amazing things that, that you've gotten into, especially your podcast, Maria and Jane, and getting more involved with the cannabis industry, which I think is, it, it's rapidly changing, as you would know more than, more than anyone. And I get a lot of questions about it and I, I'm really excited to, we're going to talk about a few different, uh, a few different things, but the, the cannabis uh, side of things, I'm really pumped to dive into that with you. So what kind of piqued your interest in cannabis and made you decide to dig deeper into it and everything associated with it? Yeah. So with my, what I was doing with Get Planty, which what you're talking about with the vegetables and things like that and focusing more on helping people to become more plant-based, not necessarily transitioning them to being full-on plant-based or vegan, vegetarian, whatever, but just getting people to get more damn greens into their bodies, however what, however that looked best for them. I think a lot of people, a lot of the adults that I work with, I think are very traumatized by the, from their upbringing and how they were brought up with vegetables, whether they came out of a can or they were just like boiled to death and made mushy and had no taste. And there's just so many really cool ways that we can integrate plant-based foods into our recipes and different ways to make them that you might not you, you may not even know that they're in there and they're just so damn good. And so that really became a focus for me. With that, I also really dove into more plant-based things, plant-based skincare um, or uh, different healing modalities that use plant-based things, tinctures and teas and um, salves and all of that kind of stuff. So I was really exploring all of that. And I'm 
a researcher at heart. So I can spend hours and hours and hours just digging into something. And I had been exposed to cannabis at a really young age because there was a woman that took care of me when I was younger for many years when my parents divorced and when I would be with my dad. And she smoked marijuana and she smoked marijuana for uh, health, re- you know, uh, medical reasons. Well, it, she, well, she said it was medical at the time, whether it was really, I don't know, but um, I, I still know her to this day. She still smokes today, all these years later, like whatever, 20 something years later. And what was always interesting to me was that she was always on the ball. She was always she's smart and she, there was never any of that like couch lock that you hear about or, you know, the stoner Cheech and Chong vibe or anything. So for me growing up, that was kind of my picture of, of marijuana or cannabis. And also my father's side of the family comes from Brazil. And I had family in Brazil that I would visit as well that were also very much into, um, plant-based rituals and healing and teas and things like that, that in there was also the use of marijuana as well. So I had that exposure. However, on the other side, I predominantly grew up in the U.S. and I was also brought up during the Nancy Reagan D.A.R.E. era. era, And, um, you know, the whole anti-drugs campaign and marijuana was thrown in there. So it was really confusing because on the one side you were hearing just say no. And that marijuana is a gateway drug. And then on the other side, I was also seeing something that was really different. And so getting back to my kind of research with all of that in my head, I started to come across different studies. There's like over 22 or 24,000 marijuana-related studies in PubMed that have been done. And it was really incredible stuff. And then, the, so the, it was like, it's like when you pick a thread from uh, like a sweater. Um, what is that when you're knitting? Like a knitted sweater. You pick, you pull a thread and then it just like keeps going and going and going. And before you know it, you're unraveling the whole entire sweater. Um, and it was like that for me. And all of a sudden there was this whole other world that I didn't even realize was happening. I also, and I forgot, I had a, one of my best friends in high school. She has um, had epilepsy. She's since passed away, but she smoked marijuana at the time when we were in high school. And I remember thinking that's such bullshit, but she said it, it helped her and it helped her to stay, to not have to take the medication she was on. And so I was like, okay, whatever, you know, if whatever works for you. Turns out all these years later, now there is documented research to prove that. And not only that, the FDA just approved the first FDA approved um, epilepsy drug derived from cannabis, which is amazing. So she was right and I was wrong. Uh, And so as I started discovering all of this stuff, it tied in with my whole plant theme, I guess you could say. Um, at the same time, I was also having my own health issues. And so I started exploring cannabis as a way to manage some of those symptoms based on the research that I was doing. And I had then, there's a whole process depending on what state you're in. And, you know, you have to go see this uh, doctor specifically and goes through your history, whatever, and everything. If you're approved, you have to, then you're 
information is gets sent to the state and you have to get a, um, a card and anyway. So I started using cannabis myself for my own health symptoms and they started, it was helping me tremendously in ways that I just wouldn't have thought. So as I started diving in more into the cannabis industry and paying attention, the theme that kept coming up was about women in this industry. And the thing about the cannabis industry is unlike every other industry that pretty much was established by foundationally, I guess we could say by men that then, you know, because obviously women came into the workforce later, they got the vote later, all of this other stuff. This is the first time in history that an industry is starting from the ground up where women actually have an opportunity to come into this industry and build it with men and do it in a way where they are breaking the glass ceiling, that there is no glass ceiling, that they're really creating, co-creating with the men what this cannabis future is going to look like, what the businesses look like, what, you know, working uh, legislation and all this stuff. So it's pretty amazing. And right now, I think it was, there's roughly about 27% of C-suite level positions in the cannabis industry are, are occupied by women. And now 27% might not seem like a lot. However, the national average for every other industry combined across the board in the U.S. is 23%. So marijuana is already beating out in terms of women leading the industry across the board than any other industry as it is. That and, is incredible. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. And so... For me, I started, like I said, I love research, so I wanted to do more research about it. And what I was finding was I was coming with this burgeoning industry and products and everything like that. There was a lot of information and sites now related to lifestyle brands coming on the scene for cannabis-related products, lifestyle, different things, and really cool stuff. Like this is not stoner culture not like dude um so stoned or wearing like um tie dye and things like that this <laughs> is like high quality goop you know goop kind of uh lifestyle esque uh websites and and um publications and for those of you that are not in with the goop it's that's Gwyneth Paltrow's kind of lifestyle brand so really um kind of stuff that's beautifully done, beautifully designed. The, the packaging that's being done for a lot of these things are very forward uh, thinking and on edge. Uh, one of the companies, so there's a company called MedMen, actually a medical dispensary. They just opened up on Fifth Avenue in New York City and wow. they're being touted as the apple of cannabis, which is uh, incredible. So I couldn't find any information really on who are these women that are bringing these products to life? Who are these women that are starting these businesses? And I thought, well, I really want to learn more about them. And I want to talk about how they're doing this and what kind of things are they coming up against, whether they be cannabis farmers, 
uh, women in politics that are fighting for legislation, women actually making products out of their own kitchen or chefs, all different kinds of things. And so I just decided, well, it, it, if I'm interested in it and I'm not really even in the cannabis industry, I'm kind of a consumer, then I would imagine that the women in there would love to learn from other women in the same industry as them. And so that was how I started Maria and Jane. Oh my gosh, that is just fascinating. I had no idea about some of those uh, statistics. And that is such a great point that I think that so many of us don't even realize is that's totally true that women have never been in a position to build an entire industry like this. That's, that's totally incredible. When you think about that, that's entirely groundbreaking. And I don't think that many people are, are talking about the cannabis industry in those terms. So it's really, really cool to hear about that. Yeah, I am so just in awe of everything that these women are doing, because also at the same time, we have to remember that cannabis is federally illegal. Mm -hmm. So it's really fucking crazy because we have cannabis federally illegal as a country. And yet each and now each state is kind of figuring out this thing on its own. And we have some states that are legal only for medical. We have some states that are legal for medical and recreational. We have some states that are only legal for CBD. It's, um, it's, it changed, the landscape is changing daily, which was another thing. So besides the podcast, what I also put out is a weekly newsletter every Monday. And it's my most favorite thing to put together because I get to spend hours researching like I love to do. But the letter, uh, the newsletter is really meant to help women or anybody that wants to subscribe. I actually have um, a very high number of male subscribers, interestingly enough, but I think it's because I spend so much time basically every single week. I am looking to see what's happening in the industry, what changes are happening in legislation, what the new product is on the scene, what, you know, what company is hiring, what executive, who's landing the big uh, money deals, all of that kind of stuff. And so it's a very long, extensive, labor intensive newsletter, but I love it. And so I, from, from that end, it's really fun for me because it literally, the landscape is changing from week to week. And that was another reason why I put it together because if I, if it's hard for me to keep up just to put all of this together for people that are in the industry, I can't even imagine, you know, with all everything that they're doing, they don't have time to go and look from different website to different website to find out they needed a place where they could just get everything in one, one fell swoop. So that was that. Oh, very cool. No, I love that. Uh, I love that you've, you've taken that on and it obviously suits you because you, you love that aspect of it as well. I mean, let's, I, I'm going to, I'm going to reference in the show notes, uh, obviously your newsletter. I'm also going to reference some of the laws that are changing in Canada because obviously we're a little bit different. From yeah. Canada. Yeah. Well, you guys are groundbreakers though. You are like way ahead of us for sure. It, it does seem that way. Yeah. But it, it is interesting to see how how the U.S. is starting to catch up, but it, then it's also really fascinating when you start to look at that it's still federally illegal, but then there's some like loopholes in certain states and then not in others. So it, it's, it's really, really 
challenging to sort of keep up with. And I, I think that, that the biggest thing for anyone who's really interested in diving into this uh, more deeply is, is that you really have to stay on top of your own research, essentially, to figure out what is acceptable and what isn't. And, you know, if you're going into a different country, what's legal there, it, it all can be shifting so fast. But there's, there's still so much misinformation and stigma associated with, with cannabis, I feel like, as well, particularly uh, in the U.S., but even still here in, in Canada. It has shifted a lot. Um, and, and most of, of the population, at least up here in Canada, supports it. I think, I think that that's fairly similar for the U.S. as well. But what are some of the things that, that we don't know about, about cannabis, that the average person wouldn't know about, and maybe how it uh, reacts in our systems? I'm also hoping that you can tell us a little about the endocannabinoid system in our bodies. So I think yeah. a lot of people are not familiar with that, and just kind of the, the effect that that marijuana or you know the various forms of, of cannabis can have in our bodies as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we all have an endocannabinoid system in our body and that you know many people don't know that it even exists. And so um, the endocannabinoid system basically is this really awesome system that sets homeostasis in our body. And so it is affecting everything in our body so that we can do everything that we need to do. And our body produces exogenous cannabinoids, which, is, which are called the endocannabinoids. So those are the ones that we actually produce in our body. However, there are also just cannabinoids, and so, which the cannabis produces as well. And so when it comes to um, the cannabinoids, people think of two very common ones are, you know, that we, that people talk about are THC and CBD. And there's like 113 of them, uh, different chemical compounds that are, um, that have been isolated in the plant but THC and, and CBD are the most popular. So THC is what we think uh, is what we know that gets people high, right? The psychoactive kind of component. And then CBD is the part that is the cannabinoid that does not, that has no psychoactive component whatsoever. And so in our bodies, we have cannabinoid receptors in um, different parts of our bodies. And when we, there's CB1 receptors that are found in the brain and throughout the nervous system. And then, so the cannabinoids basically target these receptors and have an effect on like motor learning, also uh, pain modulation, coordination, and metabolism. And then CB2 receptors are found in primarily in the immune system. And they are thought more to act in a protective role. And so when you use, you take in THC or CBD um, or a combination of both, um, they interact with these receptors to determine the effect, to determine how they are going to help your body come back to homeostasis. So cool. It's really fascinating how, how many different things that, that it can do. Because the other thing that I always find really interesting is that a lot of the, the dispensaries that have popped up, 
they will actually recommend particular types of uh, cannabis plants, uh, essentially, to be used for different issues, whether it's, you know, like anxiety is, is, uh, is a common one. I have a lot of friends that, that use it for anxiety. Um, it, there's all different things that, that we can do. So what are some of the, the different types of things that people can, can use it for? And I think it's also a really like, common misconception. People hear CBD oil and think that, that it will make them high even though right. my understanding is that the CBD oil obviously has no THC in it and, and well, clearly you're not going to get any of that. <laughs> so, well, so it depends. Okay. So, yeah. This is why I brought you on. Cause I need yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, let's see. So first, um, when I say the word marijuana or I say cannabis, really I'm using that interchangeably the the plant is is the cannabis plant marijuana was basically this term that um that you know that came about many years ago um i believe it was from mexicans and they had called it marijuana and so and that was something that they brought with them when they migrated here and so that's kind of how that happened however there is the cannabis plant like the species and then underneath that there is cannabis and hemp right so hemp comes from the cannabis plant and hemp is cannabis however it's cultivated differently and the chemical makeup of it is hemp it has 0.3% of THC or less so that would be the CBD that you're talking about so when they pull CBD uh, CBD oil from hemp, they have to pull it from high CB, uh, high um, high CBD hemp that has been cultivated, and they pull it from there. But it has no THC in it because they're pulling it from hemp. Marijuana, on the other hand, has CBD in it, but also has THC, and it could be anywhere from you know five percent to thirty five percent THC. When they are extracting the CBD oil, they're from the cannabis plant or the marijuana plant, they are extracting both. So there is CBD oil that has both CBD and THC in it, and the ratios can vary depending on, um, you know, what, how, what the what they've made it to be, I guess you could say, what ratio they've made it to be. However, those CBD products can, all, can only be purchased at a dispensary. Um, so you, can, you can't, those are not the ones that you can get like online or anything like that. The ones that you can get online or are the ones that are from hemp CBD that have no THC in them. Because because they have no THC in them and they're hemp derived, they are considered quote unquote legal um, because they're not they're not cannabis with that has THC you know the higher level of THC in them. There's also a compound also called um, they have called um, terpenes, and terpenes basically um, are like kind of like the essential oils of the plant, and they are kind of like like the smell what makes kind of the aromatherapy of like if you're smelling a fruit 
or, um, or an oil or something like that. It's, it's, you're almost inhaling kind of like this vapor, but the terpenes also have, um, healing effects and they kind of, when they kind of, people often talk about only CBD or only THC, but really it's kind of like, um, like a symphony that you, you know, in order for them to really work with, with what's called the entourage effect, where they're all working together, you really do need all of them, even if it's just like a little bit of THC and, you know, and not enough to get you high. Oh, I love it. No, that you explained that beautifully, especially when with the symphony metaphor, because I, I think that really helps to give almost a visualization of how it all needs to, to come together. And now we have, we have other things that we want to cover as well. So I'm going to switch gears, but before we do that, I do think that it's necessary that we, that we talk for a moment about some of the issues associated with race and ethnicity disparity when it comes to the cannabis industry, because there are some, some really big issues, especially now that we're starting to see the laws change and historically people of, of color, and this is applicable in Canada and the U S um, that historically people of color have, are, are the ones who have been more likely to been jailed or charged or various things for something like possession of uh, marijuana. And because these issues are shifting, I mean, you would know much, much more about this uh, than I do just talking to a lot more people in the cannabis industry, but I would love to get your take on that and, and what some of your thoughts are around that. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation that is being had and that needs to happen. And like you mentioned, there is a, there's a very long history there. And especially, you know, with the quote unquote war on drugs, the history is that, um, you know, blacks and people, black and brown people have been just disproportionately affected by this because of the arrests and being sent to jail for, for, for years and years, 20 years. Somebody was, is, is, I know I was reading the other day, is in jail for life for like a misdemeanor of having marijuana on him. Um, and, you know, really just um, disproportionately focusing on these folks when it comes to marijuana and the African-Americans, I know they've been arrested like four times the rates of whites for possession of marijuana. And so what really makes it kind of what not makes it troublesome is here we are building an industry on uh, an industry where there are tons of black and brown people behind bars for things that white people are now making money off of. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really that simple. And so it's really frustrating. And so right now to gain entry into the industry, like if somebody wants to open a dispensary or, you know, um, wants to get a license even and things like that, they have to have thousands, like hundred thousand to $200,000 up front in order to even apply for a license in order to even be considered. So the access is also not there and they're being basically excluded. And also for the ones that are no longer in jail because of their criminal record, they're also excluded from ever participating in the industry 
because of that criminal record. That and was my so, next question as well, yeah. was that I figured that that would play a role. And, and again, that, that might be different in Canada. So we are mostly talking U.S. here, just to clarify for anyone listening. But that, that was what I figured, was that any type of criminal record would prevent them from playing a role in that. Yeah. And so there are some states that are trying to pass legislation or that are passing legislation. So I know that um, I believe Massachusetts is one of them where they have, um, uh, it's a restorative justice program where if even if you have that record that you can still apply. I think New York just passed that as well, I'm not sure. But so some states are working towards that and trying to do that. And there are, there is larger legislation at work in terms of um, the Marijuana Justice Act as well. So, I mean, hopefully some of these, th- these things will come into fruition and that they will take place in every state. But it's definitely a conversation, um, you know, thing that something that needs to be acknowledged and talked about. I was just talking to someone on my podcast and she was telling me and I was like, oh, my goodness that, you know, uh, basically, because some states now are doing a, some programs where they're trying to minimize barriers for people of color to get licenses or gain entry, that there are some white people now trying to basically partner with a minority so that they can get in, like get in on that license or applying for that license, kind of like um, you know, and so she made a joke, basically kind of like lock your doors, whitey's coming for for you because now, you know, they're just trying to, they're going and trying to find somebody that qualifies as a person of color so that they can say, look, we fit the bill, you know, let's get in on this lower barrier or this fast tracking, which is crazy. Mm. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's yeah. It, it's, there's so many issues that associated with it and, and, uh, it's, I think that it, it's definitely going to have to be an ongoing conversation because, again, the, the laws keep changing so quickly that it's going to constantly be changing the, the, the drip down effect to everyone else, especially for minorities. So yeah. it's, it's tricky to, to see how that's, that's going to go. But I'm going to switch gears quickly because I do want to, to make sure that we hit uh, some of the other big issues that, that you and I plan on talking about. So this uh, this might seem like it's coming out of left field to anyone listening, but I, talk to us about breast implant illness because you have just started to be open about this. This is actually the first time that you're uh, really speaking about this much openly at all. And tell us what it is and and what some of the issues are that that you've experienced. Um, yeah, anything you would love to share? I would love to know more about this because I think that it's something that again, it's sort of like the cannabis industry. It's just, there isn't enough information out there. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So yeah, this is the first time I'm talking about it publicly. I did post a couple of days ago on my Instagram and Facebook and shared it publicly for the first time. It took me a little bit, uh, it took me a while to, I guess, just come to that point where I felt like I was comfortable enough with sharing. Um, and so breast implant illness, is, oh, let me just say, like, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. Well, I kind of do sometimes. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so I'm going based off of all of my research and things that I know to be true. And um, but 
there will be, there are many doctors that do not agree with this. The FDA does not agree with this. Anyway, so uh, breast implant illness basically is characterized, I guess, by negative kind of effects resulting from breast implants that are either, it could be silicone or saline implants because saline implants, their shell is still silicone. And so basically the symptoms can vary from person to person, depending on your genetics or your medical history, pre-existing kind of conditions, whether that be autoimmune related or any type of other illness or trauma and things like that. And so for some women, when you, when they get their implants in, they start to, and they may not put it together with the implants. Um, notice kind of these different symptoms that are happening, taking place. Some women, it's right away. Some women, it takes years to kind of evolve over time. So for me, it took years to kind of evolve over time. I started, I noticed some random symptoms popping up early on. So I got my implants a little over seven years ago. But the symptoms that were popping up, I would never in a million years have thought, are my implants causing that? Like it never, just would never cross my mind. And I just thought, oh, well, you know, that's weird. So, I mean, the symptoms can be range everything from um, fatigue to brain fog to hair loss, joint pain, um, food and chemical sensitivities, anxiety, digestive issues, gastrointestinal issues, uh, rashes, um, there's so many that I, it's, it's crazy. And so there was something that I started to notice was wrong with me, but I didn't know what it was. And being somebody that's in the nutrition field and someone that researches a lot and things like that, I, and I, you know, medical insurance here pays for whatever the doctor will send for an, a certain number of tests or whatever. And then after that, you're kind of like on your own and they're like, nope, not going to we're not going to do that. Um, and so I had started to do my own blood test where you, you can hear, you can go and you can, um, at certain lab places, you can order your own blood test for certain things. So I had started to do that um, a bunch of years back, just kind of checking things. And I noticed that certain levels were not right and weird. And so me thinking that it was nutrition related or I had a deficiency or something, I started to try to tinker in that way and take certain supplements and all of that stuff. Um, so I started experiencing symptoms like um, hair loss, and but not just like little hair loss, like clumps of hair constantly come, like I'd run my hands through my hair and like chunks of hair would come out. Um, or I started getting um, constant like... Uh, pins and needles in my hands and in my feet. And then I would get like these nerve twitches all the time. Uh, then I was getting like burning sensations in my breast. And then I would get heart palpitations. And then I started experiencing vertigo, which I'm like, I'm like, why would I be experiencing vertigo? And I thought that I was nuts. Now, mind you, these don't all happen at the same time. So it's not like I thought, all of these things meant that there was one thing wrong with me. I just thought that there was like maybe like numerous things wrong with me. Maybe I was deficient in a vitamin here. Maybe I was allergic to another food over here. May all of that kind of stuff. And so I never, I hadn't really put it together. At the same time, I did start to notice um, 
that a couple of years in, I would say probably into year, maybe year and a half to two years, that I was like, look, that I thought there was something wrong with my implants. That I, to me, they looked different. One looked kind of lower than the other. Chris, who's my fiance, he's like, no, you're crazy. Well, he didn't say I was crazy, but he just was like, no, you're wrong. But I said, no, no, I, something is like weird with them. And that was that. Um, and then one day, about uh, six months ago or something like that, I woke up and I had this um, giant, like giant black and blue on my right breast. And it was the weirdest thing because I mean, when I say out of the blue, I didn't fall, I didn't hit it, I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't chest day, I didn't drop a weight on it, nothing. It was so freaking bizarre. And I think that that was the first time that it dawned on me the possibility that maybe there's something wrong in my chest. There's something wrong there. Um, I had heard about breast implant illness last year, but what I heard about it, which I now know is not a complete story, is that breast implant illness is when somebody gets cancer from their breast implants and, um, and from textured implants. And I thought, well, I don't have textured implants, so that's not me. Um, but that's not true. There is, it is true that there is a cancer related to breast implants and the FDA does acknowledge that, but, um, that's not the complete picture. That's only one part of it. That had to be really scary. I would imagine. And I mean, are there, are there any safer types of implants coming down the line? Like, is this because, because this is something that a lot of doctors aren't acknowledging and, and in the US that the FDA isn't acknowledging, is there any other option? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about women who maybe are, are cancer survivors. Um, I mean, aesthetics are, are obviously important if, if that's something that, uh, that means something to a particular person as well. But if we're talking about things like reconstructive surgery and, and things like that, that's in particular sort of more necessary, deemed more necessary, I guess. Mm -hmm. And is there any other option? No, nothing. Currently yeah. no other option. And you hit the nail on the head. So um, there has been tons of research on this and breast implants have a very long history in this country to the point where there was a moratorium on breast implants for like 13 years. And when they came back on the market, there were these two companies that made them were supposed to do these post six post-approval studies, one of which those studies was supposed to be a large population long-term study, which both companies have not completed and um, are, are not doing because they could not keep track of their participants, which makes no sense to me. Um, but there's a lot of research out there. So the FDA does not acknowledge that says, nope, this does not exist. And because they do, um, the a large swath of medical professionals say that this doesn't exist either. However, there is a contingency of doctors that do acknowledge this exists and says, yes, absolutely, this does exist. And I'm in a Facebook group with 50,000 women, 50,000 women that are experiencing symptoms or um, have already explanted, which is, you know, had the surgery to have them removed. And when you have them removed, you can't just have them removed. You need to go to a specialized doctor that knows what he's, he or she is doing so they can also remove the capsule. The capsule is the scar tissue that your body forms around it. 
And it's important that you remove that because if you leave any part of that in there, you can remain sick. It's kind of akin to like removing asbestos. If you leave a little bit of asbestos in there, asbestos is still going to make, you know, is still asbestos and you're still going to get um, sick from it. So the, the bigger issue is the medical device industry, which is like, it's bigger than the pharma industry, at least here anyway. It's a $4 billion industry. And the rigor uh, for approval for these devices is not high. So I'll give you an example. If, if a pharma company was coming out with a drug, their regulatory process is that they have to do human clinical trials to be able to show that what they're going, you know, what they want to get approved actually makes sense, actually works, and they could prove efficacy. However, for medical devices, they, um, they're not, they're, they they may not be required depending on the class of the device. There's, you know, there's different classes. So, um, let's say something like a adhesive bandage, uh, does not require it. Um, a pro like a knee prosthesis is a maybe, maybe it will, maybe it doesn't. And if they do do it, they only have to do one. And they can do um, uh, a small study. So it doesn't even have to be a, a small, short study, basically. So it can be, um, you know, like 30 people for like a short period of time. And then they are allowed to say we're doing our larger studies post-approval. There's also a process here called the 510K pathway, which this is like the most fucked up thing of it all. 98% of the devices... Uh, get approved on the 510k pathway, which is a fast track. It was meant to be an exception way back when. It has now become like the standard and it's a loophole. So with implants, let's just say, uh, considered a medical device, and this is also counts for like, you know, really cool technology that surgeons are using in the surgery room or whatever. Um, I am the company and I want to get my breast, imp these implants approved. I am I already had a set of implants that were, was pulled from the market for being really shitty. They had previously been approved. They were pulled from the market from, for really being shitty, no longer working, probably hurting people. And now I've come up with these new implants and I'm like, hey, look, FDA, I have these and I want to get these approved on the 510K pathway. So the FDA says, cool, all you have to show is that these new implants are significantly similar to your past implants regardless of the fact that they were recalled and you get fast track to approval so wow. they're getting approved based on previous devices or versions of devices that may or may not have even worked before oh my gosh that's incredible like that's it, it, that's really scary to think about my goodness it is it's well, and, and this leads into a bigger conversation about I think being an advocate for your own health, for one thing, throughout our entire discussion, I think that's a pretty common thread. And on top of that, it also kind of leads into the fact that, I mean, breast implants are not the only toxin in our lives either. So yeah. what, are, what are some of the other ways that our health can be impacted by toxins in, in everyday life? And, and how can we sort of utilize nutrition to help detoxify the best way? Yeah, there's just... Um... I mean, the reality is, is that we're exposed all the time and there really is, there's no way for us to ever be a hundred percent 
toxin-free or not exposed. And so what it really comes down to is trying to minimize our exposure as much as possible. Canada, actually, you guys have a much, much stronger foothold in this area in the sense that um, there's just been a lot more done over there than over here. And you're actually, um, in the research that I've done, leaders in a lot of the fantastic work against protect, you know, for, for protecting um, the, your, the citizens of your country, which is amazing. Well, um, actually, my understanding too, is that Europe is like far ahead of, of Canada too. Europe is, it, yeah. Europe is way ahead of, of us in, in all areas in terms of uh, helping to reduce the toxic, the toxic load. Yeah, Europe is absolutely, um, you know, leading that as well. And so like in the US, there's 84,000 registered chemicals, um, but only 200 of them have been adequately tested for their safety, only 200, wow. and only five have been banned. And so- Only five, you're only saying, five. that is crazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's crazy. And so the rest basically like they don't, they can, it's, it's not one of those things where prove that they're safe and then you can use it. It's use it. And then, you know, and then we'll see, we'll see what happens. Whereas and Europe has banned over 1300 chemicals um, just from cosmetic use alone. And so it's, it's really not. So what can you do basically is there's, when it comes to nutrition, um, there's a couple of things that you can uh, focus on. So, and it depends. Mm, okay. So the first thing that most people think of is, is to, you know, eat only organic food um, to reduce, you know, their pesticide levels and things like that, which absolutely is true. However, in the long term, um, that's, it's kind of like, um, what Lara Adler calls a, and she's a, a toxin expert, kind of just plugging the hole, um, not really kind of solving the prob problem, but it's, it's a way to start. So um, there was a study that basically says that showed that one week of eating mostly organic food reduced your pesticide levels by nearly 90%. However, if let's say then the next day you were going to go eat something that wasn't organic, your load would go back up. So um, to start, basically, you need to choose the things that you, the few things that you want to avoid most first and kind of work from there. So the first thing I would say when it comes to fruit is to avoid the dirty dozen. So the dirty dozen is basically produce that, um, and if you Google the dirty dozen, it'll come up, the list will come up of the different produce that um, are the most contaminated by pesticide use. And then there's also on the flip side called the clean 15 which are the less contaminated produce. And so I would say that would be the first thing, focus on eating the clean 15 and not the dirty dozen. The second thing that I would say is to make sure that you are washing your produce before you eat it. And so there are some um, companies that make a thing, make a kind of a wash that you can use, but you, you don't really need it. If you soak your produce in um, water and uh, some vinegar for, uh, and also maybe some, um, grapes, grape seed, uh, grapefruit extract, grape seed extract, um, which has antimicrobial properties in it for, you know, about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, that will certainly lower a lot of the 
um, you know, help clean them and lower the load of the things that are on there as well. Um, also, trying to avoid processed foods or, you know, things with, or things with sugar, things with names that you don't understand. If you don't understand the names, I know this is kind of like, well, duh, but really, if you don't understand the name, then chances are it's, it's a chemical. It's something that's an additive that they've put into the food just so that it can maintain shelf life so that it tastes good, but not really so that it breaks down well in your body. Um, the other thing I would say is to watch out for, um, fish as well, like seafood and things like that. Cause there are, uh, ones that are sources of, um, methyl mercury and, um, you know, toxic heavy metal exposure and things like that. So trying to avoid, um, seafood or fish that are at the top of the food chain because they contain the highest levels and basically they're absorbing all of the things, you know, all of the, the ones from underneath them, um, that they're eating and things like that. And so that accumulates. So avoiding like shark or tuna, swordfish, king mackerel, kind of the predatory fish, um, sticking more to sardines, um, catfish, salmon, shrimp, things like that. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, um, watching out for the, uh, packaging. So packaging has like, um, uh, PFCs, perfluorinated compounds, which basically are chemicals that make products resistant to heat. Um, and so those kinds, you know, the, the kind of bags or things where they're like, pop these veg vegetables in the microwave or something like that, or like pizza boxes or microwavable popcorn, things like, like that. The, the rice and stuff. You see yeah. the rice a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And then of course, plastic containers. And so even if they're BPA, even if they're BPA free, they all plastics, all plastics leach into the food, um, no matter what. So it doesn't matter that it's BPA free, your the plastic containers are still going to leach into the food. And if you've ever noticed, um, if you've ever put something that may have a little bit of oil or something like that into a plastic container and noticed then that the color of the container has changed a little bit, that's because the food has seeped into the plastic and you can no longer get, the, you know, you can't get it out anymore. So the reverse is also true. The same way it's really easy for the food to seep into the, into the pores of the plastic, it's just as easy for the plastic to seep into the food. And that's, that's a great one because I always recommend that people invest in some, some glassware because yeah. it's actually not that much more expensive than plastic. I'm always surprised sometimes when I go to, to stock up because my, my partner, I feel like he loses all of ours. So I'm constantly having to buy more sometimes. And every time I go to buy them, I'm actually like, it's a pleasant surprise that the glass containers, the things like Pyrex and stuff like that, they're actually quite reasonable. And yeah. I think that we have it in our heads that they're super expensive. They're honestly not. It's actually not bad at all. Yeah. And the, uh, the last thing I'll say, and this is not food related. And especially, I, I think your audience is primarily women, right? Yes, definitely. Okay. So the one thing that I will also say is please, 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 if you use any sort of body products or makeup or anything like that, please look at your products and see what it is that you are using and what the ingredients are in them. Um, we 
just basically the, the average woman comes into contact with, um, you know, 168 chemicals on the daily just from her, you know, skincare, makeup, whatever regimen alone. And um, we're basically just, you know, skin is our biggest organ. So we are slathering on all this stuff. There is a great website called ewg.org. And you can look up your products there and it will tell you what uh, level of toxicity the different ingredients have. So that's a really great resource. Um, if you're looking for alternative products, there's a great website called uh, thedetoxmarket.com and they have skincare, body care products, uh, fragrance, all different kinds of things for you to, you know, to find alternatives for that have no toxic chemicals in them. That's, that's part of the, um, the way that the products are chosen. That's great advice. And, and I do, I, I'm really happy to see that there are a lot more companies that are starting to come out uh, that are sort of chemical. I mean, I can't say chemical free, but <laughs> they're free of a lot of the bad chemicals and they're keeping in as many good ones as possible. I think there's ones like uh, beauty counter, like primally pure. There's, there's lots of different ones popping up. And I like that there's uh, some local ones that are actually starting to pop up more often too. It's funny you mentioned ewg.org because sometimes I'll be standing in the store referencing it on my phone as I'm yeah. trying to pick shampoos. <laughs> and if it's not like a rating that I like, then I just leave it there. <laughs> Absolutely. hundred percent. You know, so these are not things that we have been, uh, you know, conditioned to really think about, but now it's a must. Exactly. Oh, Jack, you've been so incredibly generous with, uh, with your time and you've given so much information here. Please let people know where, where they can find you. And I'm going to make sure to, to obviously reference all of this in the show notes too, along with everything else that you've mentioned. Sure. I, I'm primarily on Instagram because I love Instagram. And so my personal Instagram is Jack Carly, J-A-C-C-A-R-L-Y. Uh, my website is getplanty.com and Maria and Jane is Maria and Jane. And there's also um, at Maria and Jane on Instagram as well. I'm on Facebook too, but that's not as fun. I, it's so true. It's so funny. Every <laughs> single guest who has come on, everyone's like, yeah, don't even email me. Just find me on Instagram. <laughs> I'm the same way. It's, it's just so much easier. <laughs> yeah. And oh, I, I just want to say, and I know that we got off the topic of breast implants, but if for anybody that is considering, I want to say one thing. One is that this is not, it doesn't happen to everybody. There are lots of, there are women that are very happy with their implants and are well, and I'm not saying this happens to everybody. And I'm glad that they are happy and well, I want them to be happy and well. However, I also want other women that are considering getting breast implants to please, 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 please do your research please check your doctor out. Um, even if you ask your doctor about breast implant illness and he tells you that it doesn't exist, I would question even going to him, not because um, he's a bad doctor, but because the fact that he's not even open-minded to think that this could be an issue is, um, is that's an issue. And if somebody tries to tell you that these are lifetime devices, which many women are told they are not lifetime devices at all, um, if you have breast implants in and you are experiencing any type of like autoimmune systems, and um, for me, the big ones really recently have been brain fog, 
memory loss, extreme chronic fatigue, um, and there's a whole slew of other uh, ones that you can look up. If you go to healing, healingbreastimplants.com, um, all of the information is there. Please, please, please check it out. You are not alone. Join the Facebook group. And if you have any questions about the process whatsoever, please feel free to reach out to me. I will be more than happy to help provide you with resources. But uh, a lot of women, um, especially even since I post this a uh, couple of days ago, I have had so many women send me messages that have been experiencing symptoms, have suspected that maybe it was their implants, but were too nervous to say anything or their doctors told them that they were crazy and, and they, they have, um, and that, uh, that they didn't know what they were talking about and that there's no way that this could be an issue with breast implants. And so I just want you to know that trust your gut. If your gut is telling you there's something wrong, then follow that instinct. I think that's such solid advice. Thank you for sharing that because I, I thank you for sharing your entire story because I don't think that it has been uh, necessarily easy for you to figure this out on your own, first of all, and then to, to be so open and be coming out publicly about it. Uh, it takes a huge amount of courage. And I, I'm really happy that, that you're starting to share that because I think that that, that will let a lot of women know about some of the issues, whether they already have implants and they are maybe noticing things, but like you said, they, they think that they're crazy and everyone else around them is denying it. Or if they're thinking about getting implants and just want to make sure that they're doing their due diligence uh, and, and knowing full, full well what they're getting into potentially, if it goes well, great, but to at least know that before they go into it. And I just have, I have one final question for you. Um, if you could offer people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Well, that ties into, I guess, to my last answer. One would be absolutely to trust your gut, trust your instinct when it comes to everything, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to knowing what you want to do in life, when it comes to making a decision for your health, whether it comes to following your heart. I, I really feel like we are, we're so hyper-connected. We're on social media all of the time and we're spending so much time being voyeurs into other people's lives and comparing our lives to other people's lives that we are losing a lot of that self-connection where we're making decisions based on what we really want and what feels good to us versus what we think we should be doing, what other people are doing, what we see other people are doing, and not really uh, feeling more into ourselves. So that would be the first thing. And then I guess the other thing that I would say is on a kind of bigger health picture is that sleep is so fucking important. I know people say it and people roll their eyes and they're like, no way. Sleep is so important. Please, please, please get off your device an hour before you go to bed. And I promise you, you will feel like a new person the next day. I think that that is incredibly solid advice because I think that what people forget sometimes too is that it, it's not even just about the physical effects. It's, it's how you show up in your relationships. If you're exhausted all the time and you're running around like a zombie, your relationships are probably going to start to suffer yeah. too. And you'll wonder why you're pissed off all the time and whatever. And, and it can just really uh, spiral downward. So I think that's a really fantastic reminder to 
help people to remember to look at the, the full picture of everything that sleep affects and, and everything else that, that you've shared today, Jack, you have just given us so much incredible information and thank you so much for what you are doing every day in the industry, all of the incredible research that you do, even just the stats that you came out with today, they're, they're mind blowing and they're things that can be difficult for the average person to, to dig up or ever even know about. So you've given us a massive education today and I'm, I'm so grateful to have had you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on and to speak to you and to your people listening. And uh, yeah, I, I love stats. Sorry for all the stats for people that are like, oh no, another number. Um, <laughs> that's my nerdy self. I'm sorry. I can't help it. No, I love it because it, it really, the, you can't argue with the scientific data and you have so much knowledge of it that it's very black and white in some ways about some of the, the ways that we have been steered wrong or certain stigmas or misconceptions that we have about various things that we've talked about today. And your statistics are very clear that uh, in, in some ways we might have been directed the wrong direction and we need to kind of reconsider some of that. So I think that's really, really helpful. I don't know about you, but I learned a absolute ton from this episode and from Jack. I'm so grateful for her for how much incredible research she does and how open she is to share the information that she learns. So for all the places on where to find Jack, for any of the, the number of references that she mentioned, everything will be located in the show notes over at roomtogrowpodcast.com, including where to find Jack as well in case you missed her, her Instagram handle or anything like that. It's all listed in the show notes. So if you can hit subscribe, that would mean the absolute world to me. There are new episodes every single Tuesday and Thursday with uh, incredible guests. And I also teach on one episode per week as well. So make sure to do that. And if you could also share the episode on Instagram, I would love to get to know you. It's funny, people always will tell me that, it, I've had people tell me that they're surprised that I respond guys, I'm so excited to hear from you. That is no joke. I'm not, I'm not just making that up. When you tag me on Instagram, I am over the moon and I would absolutely love to thank you in person and to get to know you a little bit better and see your beautiful face. So definitely tag me on Instagram over at Emily Goff Coach. And if it's this episode that you are sharing, make sure to tag Jack as well. And uh, I know that she would love to say hi. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. All show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take a, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.